Global outreach isn't only for a select few willing to pack up home and family and move to a foreign land. It's for all of us. Wherever you are on the globe, you can make Jesus famous. It's everyday life, and it's easier than you think. You've already been sent. Together, let's discover what to do right where we are, across the street, and around the world. It is so good to be back, and uh, we're starting a new series today. But before we get into that, two things we want to talk through. The first one is, where are we with getting out of this building? Somebody want to, come on, y'all excited about that? All right, so uh, if you're a guest here today, uh, just to show you what's going on or to refresh the rest of your memories, we have bought or are buying this really ugly warehouse. Isn't that exciting? But it's going to look like this when we're done with it. Woo, that's cool. That's the newest picture. just came from the architect this week, so it's the truest rendering. There's, there's, it's it's going to look like that, which is pretty awesome if you ask me. Uh, so listen, where are we in the process? Well, surprisingly, we're on track. You know, when you're doing a project this big, everybody keeps telling me, yeah, you're not going to get there when you think you are, whatever, but we just met with our architects and all of the engineers that do everything last uh, week, a week and a half ago or so, and uh, we are going to be submitting for our building permit the first week of August. That's about two weeks away. Come on, that's exciting. So in a perfect world, we would get that sometime in August, and that means we will be ready to close uh, on the loan and start the construction in September, which will put us in the building by April. That's way less than a year away. Come on. Yeah. So what do we need to do to get there? Well, if we're going to have a building permit and everything else, we're probably missing just one thing. Who wants to guess what that is? Money. Money. Let's talk about money. Here we go. So... As we've been telling you, uh, this number's been growing. That's exciting to watch it grow. About 825,000 is what we currently have today toward closing. However, by September, we're going to need about 966,000, which is a deficit of about 141. Now, if you were here before the summer, that number was about 500,000. So uh, first of all, just thank you, thank you, thank you for those of you that are giving and how much you are giving. And, and uh, God's doing great things. We're at almost a million dollars is what that's going to take, and we're almost there. So how are we going to get 141 between now and September? Uh, here's my idea. What if 141 families gave 1,000? It's just simple math. I can't do it any more complicated, so that's where I am. And so here's kind of how this works. Many of you have already pledged what you're giving over the three years or whenever. So, so a lot of you, this isn't even asking anything new. It's just saying, could you do it now? Could you do it in the next two months? One family in particular I talked to this past week when they heard about this, they said, oh, so we were planning to give in December. Would it be good if we did it now instead? Yep. I mean, yeah, just that simple. Some of us already give several hundred dollars every month. So over July, August, and September, you might have already been at 1,000. So count yourself as one of the 141. I'm not asking you to necessarily do anything new. I'm just asking you to see if you can get it in this window. Does that make sense? Um, some of you, it may be new. Some of you, maybe you haven't prayed about this or thought about this yet to this point. Some of you may be young single people and you're saying, you know, Jimmy, there's no way I can do 1,000 in the next two months. Well, maybe you and four other young single friends can come together and and make that happen. I'll leave that to you. We're not going to give out cards. You're not going to make any pledges. We're just simply saying 141,000, however that works. Some of you might even be like, we'll do two families worth because, you know, we got a bonus. I don't care, however you want to do it. So there you are. I'm excited. Looks like we're going to be on time, uh, and that is just a miracle in and of itself. So second thing is Serve Week starts today. Yeah, serve week going on all week long. Uh, what that means is at least once every year we come together as a church and we do as much as we can do in our city so that Jesus is hard to ignore. Just hard to ignore. 
So, yeah, we've got these shirts. You've probably seen these matching shirts that say, make, Chris got one. Stand up there, buddy. Making Jesus famous in Columbia. No, turn around so they can see that part of it. There you go. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> that part of the shirt. Uh, any outreach you go to this week, any event, uh, pick up one of these or we'll give you one there. Or if you already have one, bring your shirt, wear those. Uh, we just simply want, like I said, we want the city to be better because God's people are in it. And we want to make it very difficult for people to ignore God in this city. And so that's what we're all about. Look, we're going to have stuff all week long. Go to your app on your phone. Everybody's got the gracelife.church app, right? Come on. Yep. So on there, you can find out everything that's happening, when and where. You can also sign up for it. And you guys are actually special today because we've got our first event starting right after this service in the parking lot. So you can just be a little slow going to lunch, and you can spend the day help putting together bags for the homeless that we're going to go and deliver as soon as we get them put together this afternoon. So you guys can jump right in on the way out the door. How cool is that? Yeah. And uh, also stuff you can do all week long, uh, baby bottle campaign. That means that we're, we're collecting money for the Crisis Pregnancy Center. Bring these back next week. For the first time in my life, we do this every year. Somebody after the first service asked me, are we supposed to put milk in this? The Crisis Pregnancy Center does not need a week-old milk. They need money. So put coins in here, put uh, dollars in here, put 20s, put 100s, put checks. Um, we give it straight to them. We don't give it, so don't write the checks to us. Does it come to us? Uh, Mike, you need one? Woo, look at that. Oh, that was good. Second service, I hit somebody. I'm a music major for a reason, in case y'all are wondering. I just showed that skill. I, I got lucky on that one there. Anyway, it is so good to be back with you guys. If you've been around Grace Life for the past few weeks, I've been on a little bit of a family trip, a little vacation, and we had some other stuff going on. I just did uh, 3,000 miles to Texas and back with six people in a minivan. And I've discovered something about the word chaos, and that is this. There is a limit. There's a line. There's actually a number at which case chaos ensues, and it does not matter how far beyond that line you've gone. So to give you an example of this, I've got a family of six, and we went to see friends of ours in Texas who have nine children. That means we had 17 people under one roof for a couple of days. And I didn't notice it being any worse than the six of us in my van. I think there just really is a limit. And maybe for some of you, it only takes the two of you being married. Some of you get two kids in the mix. For us, six. Six is it. It is chaos. It does not matter. Everybody's like, right, did you kill one of those kids in the back of the van? No, no, because honestly, it's the same as when I got home. It's, it, I've been home for two weeks, and the same chaos is there. What, one, one thing that bothers me, let me just tell you, I'm going to rant for a minute. Socks on the stairwell. I don't understand this, but there are always socks all over the stairwell. And I'm thinking, okay, if anybody knows what I'm talking about, you got kids in a two-story house. It's like, what did you do? Did you just like get undressed one piece at a time going upstairs? What was, what was going on? Why in the world is there a, a sock on the third step and the match to it seven steps later? Why is there one flip-flop in between? Who wears socks and flip-flops anyway? That makes no sense. And then a stuffed animal by the time you get to the top of the stairs. And if that's not crazy, so I mean, always, always, there's always socks. I'm thinking, what is wrong with people? You should get dressed like somewhere, not in transition. As I'm ranting, and I gave you guys the calm version just so you know. As I'm ranting about this and asking my kids, do you not see this? Do you not see Are you blind? I know you see it. It's yours. It's your sock. Look at it. You got to see this, right? I mean, we've got six people in our family. Everybody's bedroom is upstairs. That means that everybody is going to walk past these socks like three or four times a day. 
So here we go. Let's do some math. We're talking like 18 or 24 opportunities a day to pick up this sock. And just because I want to discover what's going on in my family, I'm not going to pick them up. I want to wait and see who will or how long it's going to take before somebody will do it. So, you know, five days later, I'm thinking we've missed over 100 opportunities to pick up this sock and nobody's done it. Again, you got the calm version of that. And my kids answer when I'm saying, do you not see these? Why do you not pick them up? Their answer is, mommy will do it. I am absolutely convinced these two statements are so true to our human nature. We either do not see it because we're so used to it. There are always socks on my steps, so nobody sees the socks on my stairs. They're always there. And if you do see it, you just assume somebody else will do it. Somebody else will meet the need. Well, today we're kicking off a series on global outreach, and these are the two questions we need to address if we're going to talk about how to do global outreach. Is do we see the need, and who do we think is going to do it? Because most of the time we don't see even when it's right in front of our face. And if we do, we're pretty sure somebody else is going to do it. It is somebody else's job to go tell them. It is somebody else's job to move to Zimbabwe. It is somebody else's job to give. It is somebody else's job to serve. That's if we even see it. So what I'd like to do is share a story with you out of the Bible. It's a very famous story. If you've got your Bibles, turn to John chapter 4 with me. You're going to know this is the story of the woman at the well if you've been to church or been around that any time. But if you're new to church, don't worry, because we're actually not going to do the majority of the story. We're not really going to talk about the woman today. It's, it's been preached on so often. We're going to talk about something else. We're going to highlight the disciples in the story instead of the woman in the story. So John chapter 4, if you've got your Bibles, here's what I'm going to do so that I don't read the whole thing. I'm going to catch you up, uh, but just kind of giving you the perspective. Here's what's going on. Jesus and his disciples are, are on a journey. They're going from one town to another town, right? And, and as they are traveling at some point, this is probably about midday, it says that they're wearied from their journey, they're hot, they're tired, and so they go to like a first century gas station pit stop kind of thing, you know? Like today, if we're on a trip, I just did this, like every three miles is what it felt like. But anyway, you pull over, you go to a gas station, you've got to get like a, an overpriced bottle of water to drink, and then you've got to get water called gas for your car kind of thing, you know, everything. So people would do this back in the day. They'd stop by a well where they would drink water, they'd give water to their horses or their camels or whatever it is that they had with them. And if perchance you had run out of the snack food that you thought you had enough of, you could wander into the neighboring town and come back with like some hot dogs and Cinnabon or something like that. Just, just like when we stop at a gas station, right? And so we're going to pick up the story at the point that the disciples are coming back. John chapter 4, we're at verse 27. It says, just then his disciples came back and they marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, dude, what is up? Okay, translation, me, but that's okay. Uh, here's the thing. No Jewish man would be allowed to speak to a single woman just out in public like this. This is not ever going to happen. And so they already notice something weird is going on, but they don't bother to ask, and they don't want to confront Jesus because, you know, <laughs> confronting Jesus usually means you end up on the wrong end of a conversation. So they're just, they're just waiting. But now we see she leaves. Why did she leave? Well, the part of the story we skipped is that Jesus had been talking to her about herself. He told her things that only God could know. And he told her about the things that were most dear to her soul, the things that she wanted the most. And, and so she's at this point going, oh, we've been told someone like you would come. Maybe a Messiah, someone who's like, God, are you maybe him? So at this point, the disciples show back up. They think it's weird. He's talking to her. 
And so the woman leaves, and she left the water jar, and she went into the town and told the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And so they went out of the town, and they were coming to meet him. Meanwhile, the disciples, you ever watch one of those? Like, I grew up watching reruns of, meanwhile, back at the Batcave. Anybody else? When I read the Bible, things like come back to my head. Probably shouldn't, but anyway. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat, Rabbi, eat. Now, maybe you're not as struck by this as I was, but I'm thinking, isn't everybody in this story in the midst of the Messiah? Isn't everybody here talking to God in the flesh? And the woman, her response, completely different responses, the woman's response is, oh my gosh, I've got to tell everybody. I've got to bring everybody to meet him. And the disciples' response is, can we eat now? Because I'm really hot and tired and hungry. And that voice just comes to my head because, again, I did 3,000 miles with my kids to Texas, and I'm just kind of, that's what I'm used to hearing. But they were, all they could think about was, can we eat they didn't see who, who, who they were with or what was going on. At this point, they're completely missing everything. The question is, why can't the disciples see? The answer is incredibly simple, and they've just become too familiar. Just like my kids are too familiar with socks on the stairs. They don't know that's not where they belong, and they don't see them to pick them up. And we equally become so familiar with, with everything that's around us that we sometimes don't notice. Just another example, again, these are my floors. I'm sorry, y'all, but I'll tell you about my life. My son, my 10-year-old Nate, came home about two weeks ago, about a, maybe a week and a half or something, and he had been to a neighbor's house. And evidently, the neighbor's house is nicer than ours because he came home and made an observation. He walked in, and he looked, and he said, Daddy, why are our floors so bad? <laughs> well, thanks a lot. But anyway, in his defense, he's absolutely correct. See, here's the thing. Our house was built in 1995, 22 years later, four kids, two dogs, you know. What has happened to that linoleum over the last 22 years is we've worn a path in it. Anybody who's got old linoleum knows what I'm talking about. It's supposed to be white with blue speckled starlings or something. First of all, nothing is blue. So I've already begun to, uh, like, just ignore you know I've, I've acclimated myself to not look at this floor because there's blue and nothing else matches blue well i've also noticed that i don't pay attention to the fact that there's like a gray path wearing in the floor right you know what i'm talking it goes to the refrigerator it goes around to the sink it goes back to the table and it goes around the table because you pull out a chair you push the chair back in you pull out a chair you push the chair back in and the linoleum has started to just wear down so there's this this gray cloud and you walk into the kitchen, you can just follow the cloud to the refrigerator. You can follow the cloud back. It worked for the Israelites. They followed the cloud all around the desert for 40 years. So I figure it's good for us. But here's the point. I don't notice it because it's there. It's always there. And I just try to ignore it. And I've become so familiar with this gray thing spreading throughout my kitchen that I, yeah, what do you want me to do about it? But my son goes to someone's house who just got brand new floors. And they're shiny. And you can see your reflection. So he's, he's a little OCD already and likes to just, everything has got to be in order. So the first thing he does is come home and try to figure out why that kid's floors are like clean. And they don't have a gray amoeba growing throughout their kitchen or something. <laughs> but we do. Daddy, why are our floors so bad? Like, oh yeah, they are, aren't they? I remember noticing that when we moved in. But I've become so familiar with it. You see, we become 
so familiar with Jesus. And when we become so familiar with Jesus, when we become so familiar with being forgiven, when we become so familiar with going to heaven, when we become so familiar with being part of God's family, we don't see the people around us that are desperate for what we have. Because it's just what we have. We don't even think about it ourselves. We wake up, we go to church. I mean, how many of us today just really broke down weeping and crying over the fact that Jesus died on the cross for us? You know, why not? I mean, even as we're taking communion, you're taking a little juice. It's so familiar to us. Just week in, week out, day in, day out. Ooh, grape juice. I don't like grape juice. Why don't they pass out something else? I don't like the cracker. The cracker's still. I mean, we lose the desperation and the passion because it's just so familiar. We're going to heaven, been going to heaven for a while. Love Jesus, love Jesus for a while. We sing songs, sing songs every Sunday. And we have become so familiar that we don't see. And the disciples didn't see they were with the Messiah. They were like, yeah, 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 I know you're the Messiah. We figured that out long ago. You know, but now I'm just wandering through the desert with you. What does Jesus say to them in light of this? So they come back up and they say, Rabbi, eat. And Jesus says, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples turned to one another. Did you try to run back? Or did you bring something back early? You try brown nosing to get? I mean, because you can imagine they're all fighting. They want to be the first. There's stories in the Bible like, hey, can I sit at your right hand? No, I want to sit at your right hand. So you can imagine at this point, they're like, all right, which one of you snuck off and brought him stuff early? So you could be like the special one or something. Peter's standing here like, I got you a hot dog. Got one for me, one for you. Yours has chili, you know, and you're not even hungry. And here's the part we miss in the story sometimes because we get the idea, well, this is God in the flesh. Of course, his, his food is to, you know, like evangelize. No, 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 no. The Bible literally says Jesus was wearied from his journey. He was tired. He was hungry. Let me give you perspective. We got some army people in the room. He was wandering around through the Middle East in the Middle East temperatures. This is, this is real life here. And to say that he was not hungry, no, 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 he was hungry, but he makes a greater point. Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. It's not that my stomach isn't hungry. It's just I'm satisfied by something greater. I'm able to take my eyes off of, of this little short-term need and to see something much greater. And what Jesus is saying to them is, look, it's, it's bad enough. You don't see me anymore. At least she sees a Messiah. Look at how she's reacting. She's gone to get the whole village. You don't even see me. And on top of that, you don't see what I'm doing. All you wondered was, why am I talking to a woman? You missed the fact that I told her everything about her life that no one else could know and that I offered her living water and she is entering the kingdom of God right now. You, all you see is a man talking to a woman and you're thinking, why? You've missed what I'm doing. The disciples, I can get it. Matter of fact, I think if I were one of them, I'd act just like them. And I think we act just like them even today. I, I, can you, I would have been offended, honestly, if I were one of them at this point. Because first of all, I walked all the way over there to get your hot dog, and now you don't even want to eat it. So I'm a little ticked, and that's the first problem, right? But at this point, it's what, they're standing here. He's saying, I've got food to eat. And what do you mean you've got food to eat doing the will of the Father? Am I not doing the will of the Father? Hey, buddy, let me remind you of something. I used to have a very profitable uh, fishing business. And I left the nets and I left the boats. I paid for those boats. I left. I'm following you. We've been doing this now for years. James and John could actually say, 
we, we were like with our father, a very lucrative business that we walked away from. He's probably already cut us out of the will by now. We left him on the beach fishing by himself just to follow you. Why is it that following you is not enough? We're doing the will of the father. I'm a disciple. Look at all the other people that throw things at you and say bad things about you. I go with you everywhere you go. I don't remember the last time I slept in my bed. I don't remember the last time I got my own money to do my own thing with. And you, are, are I am doing the will of the Father because I'm your disciple. Come on, y'all know what I'm talking about? Jeez, God, I go to church. I go to church. I even give. I serve sometimes. And I even wake up like 10 minutes early and try to read Bible verse of the day. I mean, come on, God. How is that not doing the will of the Father? You should be like saying, good job. And now you're going to sit here and say, you don't even see the work that I'm doing? I can see why the disciples would be offended. I'd be offended. I am offended. But here's the truth. We can hang out with Jesus and do so much church stuff that we can still miss what he's actually doing in the lives of people around us. We're so busy singing songs and showing up that we don't notice our next door neighbor. We don't notice our coworker. So Jesus adds one more to it. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see. Lift up your eyes and see. Lift up your eyes and see. The fields are white. For harvest. Some versions jump right to the point. If they're white, that means they're ripe. They are ripe, ready for the harvest right now. You know what Jesus is telling them? It's like, look, here's the deal. You don't see me anymore. All you're worried about is are we having lunch while I'm a Messiah upon the earth? You don't see what I'm doing. You're just worried that I'm talking to a woman when I just changed her life and probably the entire village. And you know what else? You don't see what there is to be done upon the earth. You don't even see what you're supposed to be doing. You don't see me. You don't see what I'm doing. And you don't see what you should be doing. You just don't see. Lift up your eyes and see. You know what we do see easily? Can we be honest for a minute? We see the natural. We see the natural. Just like the disciples, we see it's lunchtime, not life change time. They were worried about food. Jesus was worried about changing a life. We just see the natural. You know what else we see easily? We see ourselves. We see that we're hungry for food. We may not see the waitress who brings it to us. Now, we see the natural, not the eternal. We see ourselves, not others. But at this point, some of you are feeling really bad. There are two things that nobody ever wants to hear you preach on. One of them is money. And the other one is mission. Because we all feel guilty. We all feel bad. And I want right now to remove all of the guilt that, that is just, I, I want it gone. Because see, here's the thing. That is not the voice of God. It's not the voice of God. It's the voice of the enemy. Because here's the first thing. The enemy wants you not living for the glory of God, not knowing that your life actually has a purpose. And if you're going to figure out that there's a purpose for your life and it could change someone else's eternal destiny, well, then the best thing he can do is make you feel like a failure at doing it so you won't even try. So you sit in church, and when somebody says, let's go change the world, all you can hear is that voice saying, you're not good enough. You don't do enough. You don't do this. You don't. So guilt out of the window right now. No more guilt. I don't want anybody leaving this room holding down their heads thinking, me, I don't tell people. Enough. No, 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 that's not it. You see, here's the reality. 
You need to know this reality and you need to not be guilty for this reality or feel bad about the reality. Every day when you wake up, two things will be true and they will always be true and they will never stop. Number one, you will wake up every day and you will be you. Obvious. And you'll wake up every day, number two, you'll be human. So every day you are going to wake up and you are going to think about what you've got to do for your life that day. I've got to get to work on time, otherwise I'm going to get fired. I've got this presentation due. I've got lunch with this person. I've got to pick up milk at the grocery store on the way home. I'm going to be me today. There is nothing wrong with thinking about you. There's nothing guilty for living the life that God has given you. And you're going to wake up and be human. That means, yes, you do need to eat, just like the disciples. If you don't eat, eventually you will die. That doesn't do anybody any good. Every day you will wake up, and you will be you, and you will be human. That's not the problem. The problem is that we simply need to admit we don't see. As we are ourselves, as we are going about the human existence, we just don't see. And if we could just say, God, show me. Show me. Because we don't need to feel guilty for what we're not doing. Too, too often at this point we think, oh, I've got, to, I've got to be like weird. You know those people who carry Bibles around to give them to everybody they meet and they, they talk to every stranger and, 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 and I'm an introvert. I don't know. I don't want to just... We're feeling anxiety because we're an introvert and we're thinking that this message says you got to go and talk to strangers and, and that just freaks you out. Come on, anybody in here? I'm an introvert too. You're like, oh! No, 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 you just need to see what God is doing. I mean, think about the story. This is about lunchtime that Jesus has stopped by the well to get water because he's tired. The story does not say that, that they're late because Jesus stopped every person on the road. As best we can tell, he didn't talk to anybody up until the woman that day. Because the reality every one of us needs to face is God is working in every person at a different rate, different things, different days. Somebody is going to come into the kingdom today, somebody else tomorrow, and somebody else next week. And you don't need to feel guilty that the person next week, God is not doing today. We just need to say, God, I don't see. Show me what you're doing today. You don't have to be freaked out to be someone you're not. You know, if you're an introvert, don't worry. God's going to give you another introvert. You're going to find them. You're going to go to a party, and everybody's going to be having fun, and there's one person in the corner who doesn't want to talk to anybody. And you see them because you are about to go to the same corner yourself. Go ahead and go. And go over there and say, party, huh? I hate party. I hate crowds. Yeah, me too. I hate party. I hate crowds too. Really? Cool. And at some point, Jesus is going to work into that conversation. You don't have to do something that is not you. We just need to say, God, I don't see. Will you help me see? And as we wake up every day and say, God, help me see, here are two questions that are just obvious for us to begin. As we look around the world, first of all is, what do I see? What do I see? Do I see my neighbor? Can I be honest with you? I don't see my neighbors. I'm the one preaching this. I don't see my neighbors. I live on a cul-de-sac. I know the guy to my right, his name is Vince. He plays on the worship team at his church, and he watches my messages online, so I'm hoping somewhere along the way he's good to go. My other neighbors on the other side, sweet little retired couple, they're going to church, they're going to heaven, talk to them, they're believers, they're good to go. Problem is, they retired to live on a quiet cul-de-sac. They rue today, I moved in with four kids. 
I mean, they are very polite because they know we're going to share heaven together and they, and they keep it, you know, calm and everything. But he regularly reminds me of where the property line is by telling me my kids should not be killing the bushes on the other side of the property line. If you could, please keep your kids from trampling on my bushes. I'll do my best, yes. I don't even know the names of the other people in our cul-de-sac. And I've lived there since 2011. I don't even know their name. I don't see what God is doing in their lives. I get up and I just see getting my kids in the car, getting where I need to go. Don't feel bad. It's who we are. We just need to open our eyes and say, God, what do you see? Do you see your coworker? Do you see Columbia? Talk about Serve Week, making Jesus famous in Columbia. Do you see the city? Do you see the brokenness here? Do you see the opportunity? Do you see what God could do through us if we just would lift up our eyes? Over there I see see and then if you see how will you respond every response is going to be different every single time one time god is going to tell you you see that you see them yeah yeah i do i want you to go and talk another time god's going to say you see them yeah i do go go and give them something another time god's going to say do you see this need yeah i do go on an airplane i don't know if you've noticed the graphic behind my head it's something we adopted years ago. I preached it as a message, and it just became a part of who we are. For us, global outreach is across the street and around the world, across the street and around the world. We get the idea that only some people should go. Missions is for a few. No, no, no. It's for all of us. Someday, God may call you around the world, but until then, go across the street. And I believe way more of us are called around the world than we just ever realize sometimes, across the street, around the world. Sometimes God's just going to ask you to do, just, just go do. This week, we just set up a bunch of opportunities for you to just go do. You didn't have to organize it. You don't have to figure out what time to be there. Just put on a blue shirt, be in the crowd, and make Jesus famous. He might tell you to go talk to somebody. He may not. Somebody else may do that. The beauty of doing this in a crowd, it's not all on you. What do you see, and how will you respond? As I've been saying all along, I really want to make sure we remove these feelings of guilt. For feeling we don't do enough, that we don't carry Bibles around, that we don't talk to every person we meet. Or feeling anxiety because now we've got to suddenly become someone we're not, got to become an extrovert or whatever. No. No guilt. No anxiety. All you need to do is what God shows you. And so tomorrow morning, don't wake up and feel like, oh my gosh, if I don't talk to the mailman, if I don't talk to this, if I don't tell everybody about Jesus, if I don't, just ask God what he's doing. Tomorrow may not be a co-worker's day. You may make it through the entire day and God may not say to say anything to a co-worker about what he's doing. You may go to lunch and think, okay, so it's going to be the waitress, except the waitress is the most bubbly, happy Christian that you've ever met in your life. Her shirt says, I'm going to beat you to heaven. You're like, okay, I guess it's not the waitress today. And you just, you're like, okay, I don't know. Maybe once again, I'm just missing it. But then you got to stop by the grocery store, pick up some milk on the way home. You're kind of busy. Grocery store is busy. Five o'clock is busy. But as you go back there to the milk aisle, you see a mom with three kids in the buggy. And you see her counting her money and then taking the milk out and putting it back on the shelf. And God says, do you see? What do you want me to do? Just 
walk up to her and give her milk. So you walk over to her and say, hey, so you got three kids there. Don't you need that milk? I do, sir, but I, I don't have enough money for it. So you take two gallons off the shelf, put them in her buggy and give her $10. And that may be all God tells you to do. Just, you just got to see. You don't need to feel guilty. Because God is not doing everything in every person at every moment. No, no, no. You just need to see what he's doing around you. Just What would he have you do? What is he showing you? I love the woman's response. Can we back up to that? We're going to put it back on the screen for you. She runs into the village and says, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? This is all you really need to do is just come and see. You know what I love about this? She didn't even have the answer. All she had was a question. Have you ever tried to invite somebody without even the answer? Try that one. It worked. The whole village came out. Try this. Hey, why don't you come and see my church? Could it be what you're looking for? Hey, why don't you come and see Jesus? Could, could he be the one that you need? Come and see. Come see. That may be all God would have you say. It may be a coworker just telling you they just can't figure out what purpose in life is and just say, hey, come and see. Come with me this Saturday. I'm going to go do something in this city. Maybe you'll find your purpose with me. Just come and see. Maybe that, could that be what you're looking for? Come and see. What do you see and how will you respond? What do you see and how will you respond? I want to close by making sure everyone here is one of those disciples, that Jesus is your king. You know, before we can go make Jesus famous in the city, the first thing we need to do is, is have our own discovery. It's what the woman did. She had a moment of discovery. Oh my gosh, how do you know this about me? How do you know what I've done? How do you have this? You're offering me this living water. And as soon as she got this, she went to tell others. So it has to start with you. And so today, before we close, I want to make sure every single one of us here understands what we've been talking about with the songs, with communion and everything else and the whole message. Jesus died for you. He died for you so that you would not have to die to pay for your sins. When we die, we transfer from life here to life in heaven. It's life to life. We do not know death because he did. But it means for every single one of us at some point in time, we have to make an exchange where we say, thank you, Jesus, that you died for me. Now I want to live for you. And if you've never done that, I want to help you do that right now. You don't have to stand up or come down front or do anything weird. Right where you're seated, would you all join me and let's pray. God, I thank you that you died for me. And now, I want to live for you. I thank you for your love, your mercy, your forgiveness. And my simple prayer here today is that you would give me a life of great meaning and great purpose in your kingdom. Amen. Let's celebrate with those people. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast. For more information about us, you can go to gracelife.me. That's gracelife.me. You can also follow us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash gracelifeme and on Twitter at gracelifechurch.com.